Oftentimes, it doesn't really matter how much we believe in the promises of God. We're still really good at thinking they're for somebody else and not for me. I know you've said that taking a rest will be good. I just don't have time. I'll sleep when I'm dead. The devil doesn't stop, so why should I? When was the last time we wanted to be like the devil? Why do we say things like that? We justify going nonstop because we're afraid that if we stop, we might see the person we've become isn't who we want to be. We might see the relationships that we thought mattered. Maybe they're not as strong as they once could be. We might see that the work that we're trying to accomplish, we're not actually equipped to do. So we're afraid to stop and we press on more and more and more. And it is literally killing us. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Can you relate to that at all? It seems life just picks up speed faster and faster. We just get going more and more. There's always to-dos that never seem to stop. We get one thing done and there's five more to do. And you get to the end of your week, worn out and exhausted, and then what? And then you get into the next week, and you do it all again. And then you're supposed to take a vacation after weeks and weeks and weeks of all of this. And finally, you have a moment to rest, and you get sick on the first day. The whole vacation you're spent in bed, sick and worn out. Have you been there before? Or what about not just the things you have to do, the weight of the world around you, right? 2020 is not what many of us thought it would be. Have you experienced things this year that just felt overwhelming? This burden on your shoulders and just when you think, now I can let it go, there's something new, right? It just keeps piling on more and more, and we feel this weight of exhaustion, of fatigue, not just in our day-to-day, the things we're trying to do, but our emotions are on the fritz. Our relationships are falling apart. We've had it up to here and don't know what to do next. Over the last several months, I've been experiencing something that I want to begin to share with you. And I say this to say that I don't have this figured out. I'm not an expert in this at all. But what I believe God is calling me to focus my energy on and to begin to learn and to begin to do and what I think 2020 gives every one of us the opportunity to do is to learn to Sabbath. See, over the last several months, I've been experiencing this really weird feeling And I've jokingly called it like the Holy Spirit of just not giving a crap. And if that offends some of you, I apologize. I can use less 
pretty language if you need, but what I've been feeling is this just like general sense of there's so much that I can't control and there's just so much that can overwhelm me, I've just stopped caring and not in an apathetic, this doesn't matter sort of way, but in a reality that says I have zero control over any of this. And I can build all of my energy and pour all of my time into trying to take back control and trying to fix what is broken and trying to restore what I feel should be. And I'll just burn myself out more and more and more and more. And one of the things I've been discovering is in my job, and maybe yours too, I will never finish the list of things I want to have done. There will always be more phone calls to make and emails to send and people to meet with and things to plan. There will always be something more. And if I don't learn to stop, to pause, to rest, I won't be able to keep doing it. Jesus, he says these words that many of you are probably familiar with, but they don't ring all that true for most of our experience. I like the way the message puts them in Matthew chapter 11, it says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I like the way the message puts that. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Come, walk with me. Experience this life that I'm giving. And yet I think for most of us as Christians, these words of Jesus promising rest almost feel more like a burden. He says, I'll give you rest, and what we hear is, I need to work harder at doing less. He says, I'll give you rest, what we hear is, but I don't have rest, so I must be doing something wrong. He says, I'll give you rest, but everything just seems to keep piling up and getting more and more and more. Where are you, Jesus? Are you here? Will you do the very thing you've promised, or is that just for somebody else? Come to me, walk with me, I'll give you rest. Immediately after in the Gospel of Matthew, right after he makes this promise, there are two stories that are included. And both of the stories are about the people of God challenging Jesus on the issue of the Sabbath. If you're not familiar with the language of Sabbath, the Sabbath is a Jewish custom, uh, a Jewish custom of taking one day every week and stopping. Quite literally, the word for Sabbath means to stop. Just stop. And in the Jewish faith, as we'll see here in a little bit, in the foundations of Scripture, Sabbath was not just a command of God, it was a regular rhythm, a thing they did. And they set up all these rules around what you must do and what you can't do, and how you stop correctly, and how you don't stop, and all the things to make it restful. And immediately after Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest, he's challenged on not Sabbathing the way they expect. Not stopping the way they think that he's supposed to. 
but doing it altogether differently. In Mark, in one of the parallel stories, the gospel of Mark, Jesus, in response to this challenge on the Sabbath, he says this, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, as they're challenging Jesus on the way that they're supposed to rest, on the things they're supposed to do to stop, Jesus says, don't you know that this day was a gift given to you? Like this was something for you. It's not supposed to be another burden. It's not supposed to be an extra obligation. You don't need to honor this, but it's something good for you. And what I've been discovering in my own journey is how un-American the idea of Sabbath is. See, we think that you are what you do. And if you do more, you're worth more. If you accomplish more, you must mean more. You must put out constantly in order to be successful, in order to be valuable. We have a culture of busy. A culture that thinks if you stop for a moment, you must be lazy. And then when we do finally stop, we usually stop in some of the worst possible ways. We stop when we reach our end and we completely crumble and crash. We hit that wall. If you've ever gone to college, maybe you know that wall I'm talking about, right? Right after finals week, where you haven't slept more than a a couple hours the whole week, and finally you realize, I can't stand any longer. And you sleep for 30 some hours straight. Or maybe that wall of, I just can't be friends with these people. I can't restore this relationship, I have to give it up. It's too far gone for any hope for it to be fixed. See, one way we stop in America is we just go until we crash and can't go any longer. This is not the kind of stopping that is described in the Sabbath. Another way we often stop to rest in America that is, I think, actually more unhelpful is we stop by trying to check out from our situation, by trying to do something that distances us from the world that we're experiencing but doesn't actually plug us into something better. Are you guilty of this? What's your favorite show on Netflix right now? How many hours have you binge watched it in the last week? See, after a really long and exhausting day, we decide the best solution is to sit in front of a TV where we can just unplug and check our mind out and not pay attention, and then all of a sudden, like the average American, we've spent five hours a day watching TV. And we go to bed often later than we probably otherwise would have and wake up in the morning more exhausted and less refreshed. And we go through the whole day to try to do it again. In the name of relaxing, we do all these things that actually wear us out even more. Have you been there? So over the next couple of weeks, we are going to explore this idea of Sabbath. In no way will I be able to unpack everything in the Bible about Sabbath. In no way will we get the whole picture. In no way will we, at the end of three weeks, be perfect at resting. But I want to invite you into a journey. If you are tired and worn out and emotionally overworked, and you are at this point of being burnt out and ready to quit, 
I want to invite you into this journey. Join me in discovering what the Sabbath is all about and beginning to try something new. I hope that if you and I can learn about the Sabbath and begin to try to practice it, we can be countercultural. We can find strength in the midst of exhaustion. We can find hope in the midst of despair. We can find peace when the whole world is on fire because we know how to stop and rest. In order to continue this conversation on Sabbath, I want us to back up all the way back to the beginning, all the way back where it all starts, where God himself paints a picture of how life should be. Maybe you're familiar with the story, maybe you're not. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I have to ask myself when I think about all of my to-dos, why don't I stop? Well, because there's so much more to be done, right? Surely I haven't finished my work, I have to keep going. Or maybe it's so important if I don't do it, who will? If I don't do it, nobody will. I have to be the one who does this thing. God who created the whole world, certainly accomplished far more than I ever will, felt the need to stop and to rest. In fact, it says this in Genesis chapter two, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Verse two, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Why is it that God himself would rest? Surely he wasn't tired. Surely this all-powerful, all-capable, all-knowing, all-present being wasn't worn out and exhausted. Why would he rest? I love working in the yard, and I love landscaping. Anybody in here with me on that? Okay, a couple of you are just as crazy. Uh, You ever spent the day outside and you wake up in the morning and you know it's a lot of work ahead of you, right? All these bushes to trim and things to plant, mowing to accomplish, all this stuff you want to do. Maybe you want to hang some lights and maybe put down a patio. You've got these big, grandiose visions and dreams and you set out with your coffee to do it. And you work and you work and you work. And all day long, you're never making any progress until finally you finish long after the sun has gone down. And you crack open something cold to drink and you sit back and you look at all that you've done. (sighs) Have you ever had that moment? You just want to sit there and admire the beauty of what you've just finished accomplishing. All the work, the blood, the sweat, the tears, all the words you shouldn't have said when you stubbed your toe, all those things. Now we just get to enjoy it. To experience all that we've accomplished and say it is good. God, he created in seven days the whole world. He did all of this work And he sits back and says, look at this beauty. Look at this creation. Look at what's been made. Now we can enjoy the work of our labor, the work of our hands. See, if you want a Sabbath, it has to begin with recognizing Sabbath is not just quitting work. It's learning to find joy in today.
It's learning to find joy right now in all the things that you've done and even knowing the things still to come to find joy in where you are right now. That's where we begin with Sabbathing. It's not a rest that comes from a place of being so worn out and exhausted you've got nothing left to give. But a rest that comes from saying everything I've given so far, it's in the past. It's beautiful and it's done. That's it. Then it goes on, it says this, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. See, sometimes the reason Americans don't Sabbath, we don't practice this habit, is because we say to ourselves, well, that was just an Old Testament commandment, right? We don't have to do that. That's for those legalistic people, but I, I'm better than that. Like, I know that I can work 14 days straight and I'll be just fine for a while. But is just fine the kind of life you want to have? See, I think God wants to give us so much more than just fine and just okay. But unless we stop to enjoy the beauty he's created, to experience the work of our hands and his hands, unless we stop to reflect, it'll just go right on by. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. There's two things here about the Sabbath I think you need to know. First, God blessed it. What does it mean that God blessed the Sabbath? Well, there's only two things he's blessed so far in the book of the Bible in Genesis prior to this. God creates the animals and he blesses them to be fruitful and to multiply. And then God creates man and woman and he blesses them to be fruitful and multiply. And also an additional blessing that the animals don't get, to have dominion over everything. Which means to join God in the act of caring for and nurturing and providing for this creation. God blesses the animals to be fruitful and multiply and blesses mankind to be fruitful and multiply and join in his work. And then God blesses the Sabbath. Why? Because God's blessings give life. God's blessing to the animals gives them the power of life, that they can be fruitful and multiply. God's blessings to mankind gives them the power of life to be fruitful and multiply and to join in his work. And God's blessing of the Sabbath gives life to those who practice it. Gives life to those who participate in it. See, oftentimes when we think about resting or stopping or taking a day to pause, at least I'm guilty of not thinking of something that gives life. But my Sabbath is all those things I haven't yet accomplished, right? You work all week long at work and then on your day off, you keep working on things that just wear you out. I don't want on my day off to paint the house or to mow the lawn. Sometimes I want to mow the lawn, sometimes I don't. Right? I don't want on my day off to run all my errands and accomplish all the to-dos I didn't do during the week. But we're told if we don't use our day off for that, what, when will we ever get them done? Sabbath brings life because God blessed it. 
But oftentimes we don't Sabbath. The second thing here that's really, I think, fascinating says God made it holy. God made this day holy. If you're not familiar with the language of holy, holy quite literally means to be set apart. He says this day is unlike any other day. This day is different. God made it holy. Now in the culture at the time when Genesis was written, there were a lot of ideas about who God is and what God does. And a lot of things that were holy. But here's something really unique to Christianity and to the Judeo-Christian way of life that the rest of the world didn't have. See, in the rest of the world religions, all of these different gods that created and did and moved in this world didn't make time holy. They made space holy. So there would be a holy mountain, there'd be a holy temple, there'd be a holy building, a place where you have to be in order to experience the God who created that. But our God doesn't create a space where we have to be to experience him. This building is spectacular, but this building is nothing apart from God. And his presence in this space is no different than his presence in your living room or in your backyard or on the kayak. His presence has nothing to do with the space that we're in. It has to do with the time that we use. It has to do with the way in which we approach our time to connect with him. God blesses the Sabbath and he makes it holy. That you and I can draw near to him any day of the week, any time of our being, any time when we're worn out and tired and ready to quit. Come to me, all who are weary. God blesses the Sabbath and he makes it holy. It's a fun fact for you. I don't know if you know this. We live in a culture that has a seven-day week, right? Our calendar has seven days of the week. Did you know that every other culture in the world has a seven-day work week? Every culture bases their time, their calendar, on seven days. There was an attempt once to make it ten days. Did you know that? During the French Revolution, the French came up with this brilliant idea. Well, if we just extend the week and make the week 10 days instead of seven days, people will be more productive. They'll work harder. They'll get more stuff done. We could say, yes, you did it. And so they tried to change their calendar to be 10 days long instead of seven days every week. You know what happened? Depression and despair and anxiety and chaos ensued. Work went down, productivity decreased, suicide went up, and they quickly realized this doesn't work. And they went back to a seven-day week. Why is it that every culture around the world has a seven-day week? Well, I believe it's because God very clearly made the Sabbath a very natural part of the way the world works. And when we try to go against the way the world works, it never goes as planned. Like, as I've mentioned in the past, gravity. It just is. And when you try to ignore gravity and act like gravity doesn't exist, it'll go okay with you as long as you're on the ground. 
but not so much when you try to walk off that roof and keep walking. See, there's just the way things are that when we try to do it a different way, it's not good. In America in 2018, we had over 768 million vacation days unused. 768 million days take a day off, but we couldn't find time, we were too busy. I wonder why our health as a nation, our emotional capacity, our ability to love our neighbor, I wonder why it continues to plummet further down. Next week, we're going to talk really in depth about what happens to you and I when we don't rest. So I just want you to know, if all of this sounds like I'm trying to create some kind of law, you have to start doing something new. You don't have to. This is not an obligation to be a Christian. However, if we continue in our way of ignoring rest, of trying to accomplish everything without stopping, it's not going to go well for us. Just period. God blessed it. He made it holy. I want us to jump ahead to Exodus. If you know the story of Exodus, uh, in the story of Exodus, God sets the people free. God sets his people free from slavery. They were bound in slavery. Now they're free. They're wandering to this place that he's promised, this destination that's theirs, this land where everything will be perfect. And as they're wandering, they begin to grumble. Surely you and I don't grumble against God, right? God, why am I so tired? How come when I wake up, I'm more tired than I went to bed? Why do I never accomplish my work? Why is this? Why is that? Surely we don't grumble, do we? Complain? They begin to grumble and they cry out, God, it would have been better if we just died as slaves than to die this miserable death out here. Have you ever felt that way? Like, surely I would have much rather that misery than this misery. I would have much rather be terrible over there than be terrible right here because we always remember the past through these perfect rose-colored lenses. The past will always be better in hindsight than in the present reality. Why? Because in order to remember the past, we begin to forget all the pain we experienced then, all the suffering we had back then. We begin to only remember the positive and we begin to repaint the picture that everything negative was actually positive. So we look at the past and say, that must be better. If only I could get back to those glory days, the good old times, when things used to be the way they should be today. And the people... They remember their past and they're crying out to God and they're angry. And this is what God does. He feeds them. Real quick aside, uh, part of what we're going to talk about next week. If you are finding yourself in that place of being worn out and exhausted and tired, there's a really good solution. Eat something. But not just anything, something really fulfilling, something that brings you great joy, something that is truly and deeply satisfying. We'll, we'll get there. The people, they're crying out, so God, he says this in verse uh, four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. 
On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. He goes on and he tells them that on the seventh day, there won't be any food. He won't provide anything on that day because he already provided it on the sixth day. Then he also goes on to tell them that if they try to hoard a whole bunch and take more than they should, it's all going to be stinky and filled with maggots the next day anyway. Why? Because here God is trying to teach his people the value of Sabbath, the need for rest. Something that Sabbath does for us is it forces us to trust God. You see, if we can just keep going every single day, just like the previous, if we can keep piling on more and more, do this, do that, be here, say this, we never need to stop and recognize none of this is within my control. None of this is something I can change. So to help the people trust him, God says, here's the deal, I will provide for you, but you need to rest. Then he goes on several verses later, he says this. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over, uh, lay it aside, keep it till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. It's a good start to your breakfast, by the way. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. We need a Sabbath not just because it's in the fabric of creation the way things are, not just because God himself stopped to Sabbath, not just because it invites us to experience God wherever we are in our daily lives, not just because it's good for us and it forces us to trust God. We need a Sabbath because God commands it. This is what you should do. Take a day off. But of course... I typically know better than God, right? Surely you do too, right? Well, God, a Sabbath is a great idea. I just don't have time for that. Well, God, taking a break and stopping my work, I won't ever get things done. I'll lose my job. My family will fall apart. I just can't. I have to keep doing more. Spoiler alert. You and I are basically just as blind as the people of Israel. See, here's what happens next. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. They had literally experienced bread raining from heaven, and they still didn't believe God's words. It said, stop for just a moment. Just trust me and rest. Oftentimes, it doesn't really matter how much we believe in the promises of God, we're still really good at thinking they're for somebody else and not for me. I know you've said that taking a rest will be good. I just don't have time. I'll sleep when I'm dead. The devil doesn't stop, so why should I? When was the last time we wanted to be like the devil? Why do we say things like that? We justify going nonstop because we're afraid that if we stop, 
we might see the person we've become isn't who we want to be. We might see the relationships that we thought mattered, maybe they're not as strong as they once could be. We might see that the work that we're trying to accomplish, we're not actually equipped to do. And so we're afraid to stop and we press on more and more and more and it is literally killing us. So this is my hope and my prayer that we can begin to recognize what does it mean to stop? And how do we do that in a natural, unforced rhythm where we can decide today will be a day of rest that I can experience God whether I'm on the kayak or I'm gathering here on Sunday morning or my day of rest is Wednesdays because I work the rest of the week, whenever that time of rest is, let it be something that fills me with joy. So there's a couple of questions I want you to ask this week. And next week, we're gonna talk a little more in depth what happens when we refuse to rest, but also what are the promises that come? What, What kind of life can you and I find when we rest. But I want you to ask these questions this week. Why do you not rest? What's more important to you than stopping for a moment and experiencing God's grace? Second question I want you to ask this week, what brings you joy? I mean, I really like watching Netflix, but I never walk away from a binge watching session And tell myself, my life is so much more full, I can't wait to love my neighbors because I just watched all of Schitt's Creek. (laughs) Though I enjoy the show. That's the name of the town. It's not like the curse word. Sorry, I should have picked a different example. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Right? I'm never in this place where I watch a show on Netflix and I walk away going, I think this country just needs more people to love one another I can't wait to start by loving people that are different than me. Do you walk away that way? You see, when we're filled with a deep sense of joy, a true joy, one that's actually purposeful, it moves us to want to be the kind of people this world needs. So what brings you joy? And maybe the answer you'll find this week is nothing brings you joy. Which leads to maybe the next question is, what needs to change that you can discover joy this week? What things are distracting you? What things are pulling you away? What things have you given yourself to thinking they bring joy and they really just leave you more worn out and exhausted? See, if we want to begin to practice rest, we have to say, what's keeping us from that? Going back to those Matthew verses or that that verse in Mark where Jesus says, the Sabbath is made for man. He goes on to say this. Do you not know that I'm the Lord of the Sabbath? And all of our resting and all of our stopping and all of our seeking to find joy in our time, not doing and producing, but just being. He is the Lord of our Sabbath, the one who wants to meet us wherever we are and within whatever kind of mess we've created, that we can walk with him, find joy and peace 
and strength for whatever may come. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you have commanded Sabbath. You have commanded rest. You have modeled it for us. You have woven it into the fabric of creation. You have blessed it and made it unlike anything else. God, we confess to you that in our sinfulness, in our arrogance, in our pride, we are too good to rest, too important to stop, too needed to give up control. God, I pray for each one of us, whatever is burdening us, whatever has worn us out, whatever is exhausting us, teach us to rest, to stop, to let it go, to experience your love, to trust in your promises, to to know this life that you have for us. God, I pray over this journey as we begin to explore Sabbath, he would help each one of us to slow down, to let go of things that are holding us back and to pursue that which brings us life. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna give you one quick warning. Kind of like the vacation that you take where your body finally catches up and you're sick the whole time. If you want to take this idea of a Sabbath seriously and begin to practice and try to say, let me learn a new way of doing things, it's going to be really hard at first. It certainly has been for me in this journey. And it's going to be hard because all those things you've left undone will continue to pile up. And all that old way of feeling like it's on you to fix it will continue to weigh upon you. If you want to join me in this endeavor to begin to Sabbath, it's probably going to be tough. But I promise you, eventually, you'll overcome all of that weight. And you'll find the rest and the peace and the joy and the life that you've been desperately desiring. We'll find it together. We're going to continue our worship now by collecting offering. Uh, offering is something we do in this place to say, God, I want to be a part of what you are doing. I want to join in your work in loving and serving our community and making a difference in the lives of people around us. And so if you came today prepared to give an offering and you'd like to give it with cash or check, after we finish today, as you leave, there's popcorn buckets in the back corners. Because for those of you who don't know, we used to be in a movie theater up until recently. So we thought we'll just keep what we've always done. Why change it? You can place your offering in those buckets if you came prepared to give it. If you're somebody who prefers to give online, you can give at thepointknox.com by clicking that little blue button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this, God does not think anything more or anything less of you because of what you give. I don't think anything more or less of you because of what you give. Nobody in this place who has access to our finances will know or think more or less of you because of what you give or don't give. Every one of us gives not to get God's love, but because we already have it. All right, we have um, a handful of questions this morning and, uh, and a comment, and I think they're all equally hard, so I'm just gonna jump in. Um, first is, how do I forgive and move on from a manipulative family member? They're still family, and I still care about them, 
but they make it very difficult to love them. Yes, um, there's a lot to that. So I'll, I'll begin with this. Forgiveness has nothing to do with what they deserve, ever. Nobody ever deserves forgiveness. So how do you forgive? Well, it starts with recognizing how much you've been forgiven. Because you've been forgiven, you can choose to forgive the person who does not deserve it. Now to the second part about the manipulating and the being difficult to love, one way that we love is actually setting healthy boundaries about how other people are allowed to treat us. And so if this person has been manipulating and has continued to manipulate, you need to have a conversation with them and say, this isn't acceptable. And this is what I'm going to do about it. That doesn't negate your forgiveness. In fact, it only makes your forgiveness that much more meaningful. Because in your forgiveness, you're seeking to set healthy boundaries so that there can be healing and move forward as opposed to just allowing that pain to continue to exist and acting like it doesn't or was never there. So if that's really difficult, which it is, I recommend finding other people you can talk to about that situation and maybe get their input. Maybe you have experienced it from your perspective long enough that you need somebody else who can help you see a different angle or a different approach or maybe ways to talk that you haven't yet thought about. So I say reach out to Emily or myself. We will gladly meet with you or connect you with others who can maybe help you begin to say, what does a healthy relationship look like here? And maybe the most healthy thing right now is no relationship. You can have that and still have forgiveness. Um, All right, so next I'm going to just share a comment. Uh, What a great way to finish off a politics and God lesson with the Sabbath. We love you, Point, and greetings from Minnesota. Hello. Hello. For those of you on live stream, we love you too, and we're so glad you could join us at a distance. Which leads me to my second question. (laughs) Not my question, by the way. Someone's second question. Um, If there were a second civil war and people in our church were on both sides of it, how would the church handle that? Wow. Okay. Well, it's a safe place to ask any question. Every question is okay, even the ones we don't have a clear answer to. This one, I think there's a really clear answer, and it's really murky in how it plays out. The really clear answer is the only thing we as a church can ever be about is Jesus. And the only thing Jesus is ever about is reconciliation and restoring what is broken. So if we come into this place or if we're watching online or if we're doing the life of the church together and there are things that we have against one another, we need to stop everything else we're doing and seek to restore that. And I tell you what, no matter where you fall on this side or that side, if a civil war comes, none of it will matter as much as loving Jesus and being loved by him. And so we as a church, where will we stand? We will only and always stand on the side of we will be united in Christ. And if we can't be brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ, nothing else matters until we get that right. Period. Hey. Yeah. All right. Uh, (laughs) I'm good on the spot. All right. Uh, Last question. In the Apostles' Creed, we say that Jesus is the only Son of God. 
Jesus never says he's the only son of God. Job 1.6, which I have for you, if you Thank need you. it. Thank you. Yes, I don't um, have that memorized. You didn't have that on the top? Okay. Clearly says God has multiple sons. Why are we claiming that God only has one son then? Wouldn't it be more reasonable to conclude that this is just a 2,000-year-old leftover from an argument between arrogant theologians who are more concerned with their career than God? Nice church, by the way. Thank you. Thanks. Um, okay, and I have Job 1.6 for you. A, so one of these is, um, there are like different translations that say different things. So, oops. <laughs> um, one says, I'll find the one that says, okay. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. Um, but there are other versions that say one day angels came to present themselves or members of the heavenly court came to present themselves just for some context. Cool. <laughs> well, my simplest answer is uh, I haven't touched my Hebrew much lately, so let me go back and do some research and get back to you on that one. Uh, to the part of like, was it just angry, arrogant theologians seeking a career? There wasn't a career to be made at the time in uh, being a Christian. In fact, Christians were killed, and for 300 plus years, it was illegal, and they were like hated, uh, not consistently, but regularly. And so um, I think it's a really dangerous approach. And I say dangerous because it's our natural approach to look at things of the past through our lens today. And then to say through our lens today, the thing that makes the most sense is what we would say today. Um, now, as to him being the son and the only son, Jesus himself does often say, I'm the only way to my father. Um, Without misspeaking, I don't know of any places where he denies that he's the only son of God, but I also don't know of any places where he overtly says it. Uh, so I'll get back to you more on this question in our point leftovers later this week. Um, there is one more question that came in actually in response to point leftovers earlier this week. Oh, yeah, there was. So you have it? I have it. I, I've been thinking about this one. The joy of you texting questions in during the week is I'm not on the spot. Thank you. Uh, so earlier this week during our point leftovers, we were talking about the end times and what the end of the world looks like. And I said that throughout history, there's been a difference of opinion on what's to come, but there's been a unity in what that final result will look like. And in the difference of opinion, it's about how we get there. But in the final result, uh, throughout history, pretty much every Christian everywhere has said, in the end, the earth will be restored, recreated, and all that is good on the earth will be good forevermore in the flesh. This is why in the creed we say the resurrection of the body, right? On that day when everything's remade, we will have hands and feet to be able to touch and feel. So the question that came in is, I thought you've said during Bible study that dogs don't go to heaven. <laughs> uh, Yes, I did say that, and I still think it's true. Sorry, if you have a dog you love, pray that Jesus comes back before they die. Right? Be because while they have lots of emotion and lots of love, and they're wonderful, way better than cats. Sorry, you cat people. Uh, while dogs are awesome, they're not made in God's image, and they won't be resurrected from the dead. Now, when Jesus comes back, all that is living will be made without death. And that includes dogs that are living. So pray he comes back before your dog dies. And if he does, great, your dog will be there for all of eternity. If not, thank you, God, for that dog you've loved so dearly. 
And maybe he'll give you a different dog to love dearly. Not replace, because they're very different, but another dog to love dearly. Yeah, the only ones that have souls are people. Uh, animals, while they have a lot of emotion and a lot of expression, don't actually have souls. So they won't be resurrected as well. Um, but I will say this does mean we have a responsibility as Christians to care about the world around us because let's say these glorious things called elephants disappear, we won't have them for all of eternity. And that would be sad because I want to ride one, which I know you can do today, right? But I haven't yet, so uh, that would be sad because they're beautiful creation. And so we have a responsibility to care about the world so that when Jesus comes back, what's restored is all of this life here today. Uh, so I hope that helps. And if you're sad that your dog's not going to heaven, that's okay. Come grieve with me. We'll be in this together, all right? Um, and we post a conversation every Wednesday around 6.30 p.m. that we'd love for you to comment and like ask more questions and just be a part of that conversation and digging into these these topics and questions. Thank you for your questions. Please continue to ask them and I'll do my best to respond. I'll dive into that thing about Job. Thanks for really being tough on a Sunday morning. Um, Before you go, uh, if you at any point this week would like to connect, you want to find a way to get more involved or ask more questions or maybe you're worn out and tired and you need somebody to be there with you as you figure out what's next, Um, please reach out. You can reach out at thepointknox.com at any time. If you have our numbers, which mine is posted there on the website, you can text me or call me at any time and we'll do our best to be there for you or to help find somebody who can be if we're not available. Uh, With that, I want to leave you with this blessing and then you're welcome to stick around and talk as long as you'd like uh, this, this afternoon. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, Simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.